Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. So I am sitting down today. It's early for me, but my guests are on the East Coast, and so we're cooperating. But Dave and Alyssa, welcome. You are the editors of the Campfire Stories, and I'm going to read the subheading, which is Tales from America's National Parks and Trails. Yes, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So my question is, how did we get here? (laughs) Mm. Um, Well, it goes back to, I think, 2015, 2016. Um, Dave and I, I think we're in a little bit of what I at the time was calling a quarter life crisis. Uh, I think we, at that point in time, you know, we went to college, we got the jobs, we were kind of just in a little bit of a rut and wanted something different. And at the time we were exploring the idea of perhaps moving actually to Portland, Oregon, um, and also kind of kicking around different ideas of how we could maybe travel more or do something different with our careers or our creative practices. Dave is an artist, I'm a designer. Um, So we were kind of looking for something different. Um, And I think also at that point in time, um, we were getting into camping. Uh, We didn't grow up camping or, um, you know, I played in the outdoors like all day, every day when I was a kid, but as a a teenager, as a young adult, we, we kind of um, re-embraced that um, and accidentally ended up in Acadia National Park um, after there was a trash strike in Toronto um, and everything was like, the city was shut down, we couldn't do anything. Um, and we just, um, we fell in love with uh, camping uh, in Acadia National Park, even though we did every single thing wrong. Um, <laughs> we like slept on the floor of our, tent with with no sleeping pads and we learned very quickly that granite uh sucks the heat right out of you um so it was a very very cold camping trip Um, but we loved it and um so when we were kind of thinking about um what we wanted to do dave was like hey what about that idea you had been kicking around of like creating a a campfire story collection and like what if we just like committed hardcore to doing it we might have even been hiking in like Big Sur or in Olympic at that time. And I thought it was so wild and not typical of Dave to throw out an idea like that. Um, But it happened to be the centennial um, year coming up of the National Park Service and looking for some kind of like structure for the, the book. We were like, it would be cool to create a collection of campfire stories around national parks. Well, that's giving me too much credit because I was my first suggestion was like we should sell our house, we should live nowhere and just you know go RV. This was the you know um, five or six years before van life really became a thing. I was going to say you're predating the whole van yeah, life. I, thing. I was yeah. I was a trendsetter, but Alyssa 
when, when she heard that version of the suggestion was like, uh, no, let's not do that because we're adults. Uh, <laughs> and that is a terrible idea. So then we, you know, we put together, but the question was, how are we going to tell these stories about these places all over the country uh, with any authority, with any legitimacy? So I think for the first book, we put together, um, we did a little Kickstarter project. We raised a few f funds just to see, does, would anybody be interested in this book? And people were, that was the good news, but then we actually had to do it. So we put together <laughs> a four month travel itinerary and just spent, we we determined that we need to spend at least two weeks in every place uh, to, to get to know the place in our bones, in our feet, and mm -hmm. to get, meet enough people that live there that can give us kind of a really broad perspective, enough of a baseline for us to choose stories that like ultimately tell Tell you about these places so i think that's what that's what we look for in a campfire story not only these are fun stories that you're you're going to want to hear uh, and you're going to want to share around a campfire but also the you know this group of stories will tell you something essential that you need to know about each of these parks either living there or the people that preceded the national park idea or just what it is like to um what you know what's it like to be a ranger there you know what's it like to kind of be, uh, uh just live just outside the boundary you know all, all of these details i think the anthology format really allowed us to tell um a diverse group of voices um and perspectives um and give a, a reader um that broad sense of like okay this is the national park in the 2020s okay so i'm going to pause you because now i have questions to ask yeah. about what Go you just it. shared with me um First off, congratulations on camping on granite because that's my experience with camping as well. <laughs> and so I jokingly say my idea of camping is bad room service. Mm. Um, but I have a similar, you know, uh, yeah, didn't do it real well. Wasn't a lot of fun. <laughs> I have rain in my story too. So, uh, yes. um, so there's that. But you said something and you said two words that we normally bleep out on the show jokingly, but you said Portland, Oregon. Sorry. Um, why, why were you thinking about moving to Portland? And I could say that sarcastically, like what's wrong with you? No, but I mean, in all sincerity, why, what was it about Portland that was on the radar? Um, I feel like we were like delayed in that whole trend of everyone moving to Portland. Cause I was like a little bit after the Portlandia, I think we were, um, we were drawn to, I think, just generally the Pacific coast okay. um, and the access to the outdoors and nature. And Portland felt like a really good um, spot to access a lot of uh, different natural spaces um, while also still an urban area that we could, you know, find jobs and be able to <laughs> pay a rent or mortgage. Yeah. Okay. Um, all, all valid, all valid reasons. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately just thinking through all the, the logistics, um, and, and everything, um, going into that move, it was maybe that the moving was not the, the fix to what we were experiencing in life as a couple. And it was more just kind of looking for something that would enable us to travel and be in natural wild spaces, but it didn't mean we needed to kind of like uproot our lives and our community and everything that we built. Um, we're in the Philadelphia area okay. uh, to, to move there. Yeah. Because that's a, that's a pretty big jump from Philadelphia to Portland. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I've had lots of friends that make that move uh, before us to the West coast and they always come back. <laughs> and there's just something I think unique to the culture of the, the Northeast and something unique to the culture 
of Portland, Oregon that uh, specifically that um, maybe we kind of saw like we probably would end up uh, back in in Philly or somewhere about anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just kind of started exploring this opportunity uh, to to travel more through our creative work. Okay. Last question to kind of go back to what you both shared. Prior to the idea of writing a book, had either of you been involved in, sorry, um, sorry, folks, Bosley has something to say. Um, have, did either of you have either of you been involved in, in writing books before or what, because I think we, I think there's this romanticized notion of, right. We all have a great book in us. I think that's human nature to think that we have, you know, the next great American novel or, you know, but what, what, if any skills did you have before getting started? Uh, well, I have zero uh, writing background, um, but I am a uh, storyteller by nature in my work. Um, I am a design researcher, so I work with companies, nonprofits, different groups um, on, oops, sorry about that. Um, I work with different uh, companies, um, nonprofits, organizations on developing um, new ideas or um, fixing current ones, uh, current product services experiences. So I talk to people a lot in my day to day. Um, So I do a lot of interviewing and getting to know people and understanding their needs and their challenges. Um, So in some ways, I have sort of like a, a you could say journalism approach. Um, and so that is kind of like one of the divides uh, that we have in ways that we collaborate well together is I, I talk to the people kind of get okay. the, the good stuff out of them and I can kind of, um, you know, write, uh, with, with what I learn. And Dave actually has a little bit more of a writing background. Oh, yeah. yeah. I bring, I bring the credentials of, um, being the first grade spelling champion um you know top of the class uh, at spelling um as also as um i'm of korean descent so in asian culture we are very much about um sat prep so i have you know hours and hours of just like what what does this word mean pick the synonym all of that training mm-hmm. um but but you know when i did go, when i when i went to school i i wanted to get an english degree <laughs> unfortunately okay. my college um and informed me that I had to pick between visual arts and English. Um, so I, I went with the visual arts route, but I've always kind of had an interest in writing, um, especially in a, in a place like Philadelphia. Our art scene uh, is a not, it's a non-commercial art scene. So artists are often the curators and also doing all, all, all the other tasks that are involved. And I was um, doing a lot of art writing at the time. Okay. So I think when we started um, putting together, I guess, putting together this idea that we wanted to write a book, I also... Um, looked for more opportunities uh, to work with editors, um, to to write for periodicals, um, and just I I just wanted to make sure that like yeah we weren't <laughs> we weren't batting a zero in the writing department. And luckily uh, the feedback from the editors was that it was good. Uh, I needed a little bit of editing, sure everyone does, um, but that you know I was we weren't so far off. Um, so I we we did put in the work to make sure that like what we were writing was legible that that we were getting those ideas across. But I think it's also important to us that you know we do have a um, a voice that is broadly accessible, mm-hmm. um, and it's also important that like you know this, we didn't have to write 
300 pages. That That's also intimidating to us. We're the editors of this collection. We are right. seeking out other stories. Um, and, and certainly, I think that that's also the way that we lend legitimacy to our storytelling. We're not we're not the experts of Olympic National Park. Mm -hmm. um, instead, we get to talk about our experience. Um, we get to read hundreds of hundreds of stories in order to kind of pick the final six that end up making the collection. And then oh. we lift up all those writers um, to say that, you know, these these are the these are the ones that we've enjoyed the most and that, you know, read together, we think um, gives you a really good sense of what this place is. Oh, OK. Well, first off, kudos to you for not having any quote unquote official skills and still going forward with it. No, I think that's, <laughs> no, I, I could, I mean, well, first grade spelling champion, that is, that's kind of hard to beat. Um, but I, I just, I love it when people, I want to do something and they don't let, but I'm not qualified to stop them. Now there are certain things that you probably shouldn't do. Like I'm going to do brain surgery and I'm not qualified. Okay. But writing, being creative, taking photographs, painting, even if you don't have skills, you can develop the, your own style and your own voice. So I, I love it when people don't necessarily, I love it when you take a risk. So that being said, I do have a question based on mm -hmm. this. So how did you, and we're bouncing around a lot, but I think we're setting the framework to talk about the, the volume two book specifically, but how did you get involved with Mountaineers Press? Because Dave, was it when you pitched them, was it, I'm the first grade spelling champion and they said, great, you're in. Um, but how did you go about getting a publisher for this work? So when we started, um, we had dreams, goals um, for this to be in stores like REI, LL Bean, all those outdoor mm -hmm. organizations. Um, but we we're, you know, very aware that we are a bunch of nobodies who have never written anything before. So part of the strategy of doing a Kickstarter, as Dave mentioned earlier, was really like getting the word out and also like proving that there was like a market and an interest for this book. Mm -hmm. um, because I think as the concept of the book started to formalize, we realized it was a very like ambitious project because we were going to be, um, you know, getting the rights to dozens of stories, hiring six illustrators for that book at that time to create work for the book. Um, so we did the Kickstarter. It was really successful. And one of our backers, actually, um, James Edward Mills, is a, um, a writer, uh, an outdoors writer who writes a lot. Um, about diversity in the outdoors. And um, we were on our research uh, trip for volume one. And he said, hey, if you're swinging through Wisconsin, I'd, I'd love to meet you um, and interview you for my podcast, uh, the, yeah. the Joy Trip uh, Project. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just really wonderful to, to meet him in person. And he was really, really supportive of our project um, and our work and the intention of it. And he said, hey, I'd love to introduce you to my publisher, Mountaineers Books. And that was really our, our in. Um, we still had to create a, a pitch, a proposal uh, for the book. At that point, the book was, you know, mostly, the, the work had been mostly complete. Um, we just kind of had to like 
pull it together, but the gears were already in motion for artwork. Um, we have uh, an amazing friend and designer, Melissa McFeeders, that was art directing the book. So we kind of like baked her into our pitch and she's like still our go-to creative person um, for our um, sort of our larger brand, uh, the books and the card decks. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we had all this like cool sh- stuff to show them because we had already gotten so far in the process. We had these illustrations, we could prove that these illustrators had big followings on social media. Like that's really what we were hinging on was like our reach on social media, the success of the Kickstarter. People want this. We had numbers. We had like actual data. Um, And so I think that that I'm guessing is the reason why they were willing to kind of take a chance on us um, for this project, even though like we didn't come with like a lot of experience or writing behind us. Um, and we had a lot of stories to kind of uh, show and, and draw from. Yeah, let's see. Once again, there you go. Things work out the way they do. You had somebody sponsor you on the Kickstarter. You met them. They introduced you. Doors opened for you. That's awesome. But you have to yeah. deliver the work. Mm-hmm. So the first book comes out. And we're, so this is a question I love to ask authors. Now, I don't know. I don't know what your answer is going to be. This is going to be interesting. So. Where was the first time you saw the book in a store and what was that like? I think the first time we saw it was at a local sort of outdoors store called United by Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're now an e-commerce like online um, business, but um we had an, an event to celebrate the the launch of it and to do a presentation and share pictures and talk about our process. Um, but in Philly, it was sort of like the, the Mecca of like outdoor community and culture United by blue does, um, or, or did, uh, a ton of cleanups around, uh, the U S okay. and, uh, we're sort of like, we were entirely their demographic, like young outdoors, folks. And I mean, that to us was like, Oh my God, we made it in United by blue. It was a big deal. Um, but I, I think like the, the most like kind of pinch me moments were more our friends who were getting to travel more than we were at that time. Um, because at that point in time, we had a newborn baby. Um, so when it, when it came out, we were busy and not traveling. <laughs> we we're busy with a child. Right. Um, so we were getting texts from people on like Orcas Island, uh, you know, seeing the book on the shelves. I remember a friend sent me a picture of um, the book at all the like checkout lines at REI. I forget where it was. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, almost experiencing it through other people in other cool places. <laughs> that's that's cool. That's a cool spin on it because yeah. Um, I asked one one author, and his answer, and I share this every time I tell it. So, you know, sorry, folks, if you heard this one for like the fifth time now, but I was talking to this, this author and he writes books about Seattle's like prohibition era and kind of his, history of Seattle's like CD side of during the prohibition. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, so where, where did you, you know, first time you saw your book on the shelf, where did you see it at? And he goes at Bartell drugs, which you have no reference, but it's a drugstore. I was thinking he was going to say something like, you know, Barnes and Noble or third place books, which is a big, big book chain or not big book chain, but it's a big independent in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. But he's at a local drugstore. Nice. <laughs> and I'm like, how did that make you feel? He goes, it was awesome. It was exciting. Yeah. And I'm like, 
How cool that, you know, you write a book about a topic like prohibition in Seattle or campfire store, and you see it at a drugstore. Like that the buyers of the drugstore thought there was enough interest that people going to buy aspirin or or whatever would go, oh, I think this book's good to take home with me today. So I mean I that's think, that's how it works. I mean, yeah. I think for the first year was a lot of that for us. It was local bookstores, independent bookstores, shout out to those yeah. that um were excited by the idea, you know, loved the design, um, the cover of our book and we're happy to represent local authors. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it did take a good amount of time to start getting it yeah. into re retailers. And I think, you know, thanks to um, Mountaineers Books and taking the chance on us and like the great connections and relationships that they've built up over the years, you know, eventually it, it got into the the bigger retailers. Um, but it did, it took some time. And it whether it's a small independent bookshop or REI, like no matter what, it's like always exciting to us to see it somewhere because the the fact that anyone wanted to to to, to put it on their bookshelves right. is really so. Let's so all right. So the volume one, and then the card decks. Where what's the what was the story or what is the story there? What why was walk me through the high level of the card decks. So during the pandemic. Um, we got a similar sort of like, well, we could frame it as a creative itch, but probably was just like a little bit of boredom and, and wanting to keep ourselves busy. Um, but we, we kind of had this idea of prompting people to tell their own stories around the campfire. And we suddenly found ourselves with a lot of time. I mean, we had two young kids, a baby and a toddler at home, but, um, at that time I had to put my business on a hiatus. Um, I couldn't operate it. It was centered on travel and gathering people, which during a pandemic apparently you can't do. I guess um, so. so I had a lot of creative energy that I needed to get out. And so I started, um, exploring this and I reached out to our publishers, Mountaineers books. And I was like, Hey, I have this idea would you entertain it? And they were like, sure, like pull together a proposal. And we went through the whole process. Um, so the first card deck, um, we thought we would just try out um, the, the family um, storytelling concept. So that one is, um, you know, prompts for conversation um, for telling stories around the campfire. So there's different just like outdoor nature theme prompts that get you to think back on like the coolest thing you found um, on a trip while traveling, okay. um, the, you know, uh, strangest thing you experience in the dark. So all these different prompts uh, for telling stories around the campfire. And then the second one was really inspired by our um, kids and our, especially our daughter, uh, Lula, who loves to tell stories and well, hers, her version of stories was she would always sing songs, um, nonstop. She would always write songs out loud and she still does. Um, but the idea of the kids card deck is there are, um, action cards and character cards and kids draw from each pile and they tell a story about it. So there'll be like a, uh, an animal creature and something that happens like accidentally drains the ocean. And um, there's no um, specific way to play with it. Um, mm -hmm. There's a suggested way, which is you draw one of each. 
our kids do like every other version of the card deck. They just keep drawing animals. They keep introducing new things that happen. Um, but it's really meant to sort of like spark a kid's imagination um, uh, to tell stories. That's very cool. All right. And I think it also, I think the card deck is a really, uh, I guess I can say, because Alyssa primarily put together the card decks. So I'm speaking from a third person perspective. So when I say it's brilliant, I'm not saying I was so brilliant. I'm saying Alyssa made this brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. Um, and Melissa, Melissa McPeters Alyssa was and a Melissa. big part of it. Mm -hmm. Melissa and Alyssa were a power team. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it addresses the central tension of like a, the campfire story as an idea and that like, people will pick this up and be like, oh, cool ghost stories, but we're not telling any ghost stories in these collections. We're wimps and we don't want to hear ghost stories. But also when people have a very specific idea, and we do also want to encourage uh, the, staring, the sharing of stories. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a section at the beginning of the book that tells you, gives you a few tips about if you were to read these, how, you know, what, what are, how, what, how do you read aloud around a campfire? How do you kind of hold that space? Um, but when also when we, I, we've seen other book projects where they've asked people to submit their own campfire stories and they'll compile it in a collection and you get, you know, there are only so many, like me and Ted were walking and we saw a bear <laughs> and that's the story. And it's interesting if you know everybody involved, but in a general sense, it's just not that interesting. So I think the card decks are a great way for people to kind of like get uh, loosen up and tell their own stories and the books themselves um, are a better vehicle for like, okay, this, this is a more of a, curated experience. This is acknowledging history. This is acknowledging, um, uh, I guess, yeah, it, it allows us to pick the most entertaining ones that are going to be broadly accessible. Whereas the card decks allow a group of people to um, share their own versions of campfire stories. And I, I think that it was highly influenced by being in quarantine and hmm. being stuck in the house and uh, Zooming, FaceTiming with family. Um, people were returning to these like old novel things like puzzles and just like family time. Like there were people who were just like, wow, I haven't talked to my sister or my brother or my cousin or my friend from elementary school like this in so long. Um, Cause you just suddenly found yourself with time. And that was like a, definitely a big driver and trying to be quick about creating something that people could use. Um, you know, once we were able to like be, kind of within six feet of people outside, um, something they could take with them to a campfire and like reconnect with, with people as well. So it was definitely inspired by the time as well. Okay. Now volume two, let's talk about that because that's, that's kind of what, how we got introduced was because of volume two. So can you, so I have a bunch of questions now based on things you've shared. So first off, first question I have is how soon after volume one did you think about doing another volume? I think I thought about it while we were working on volume one. Okay. All right. Really? I we thought <laughs> we thought it was never possible. Well, I guess he said he said think about it. <laughs> think about not it. Not actually pursue it. We, while we were while so we traveled for four months to okay. collect five the story months. five months to collect the stories for volume one. What mm -hmm. we didn't realize was that we had a stowaway. Three weeks into the trip, we learned that we were pregnant. Um, I, I, I was, I was pregnant. Well, you know, we, we, we supported it. To, we were pregnant, but Alyssa, Alyssa bore the physical, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was there every step of the way, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't bounce cooking, cooking from the inside mm -hmm. in Zion national park during a heat wave. <laughs> oh, okay. But, but our process was 
So we thought we would have to travel and spend time in these places to have the legitimacy to tell mm -hmm. these stories. Right. But but the actual research process was like we sat down with people for hours. We crisscrossed the park. We, we were driving for one, two, three hours at a time often. So we thought it's like, boy, how are and then. Yeah, it was just like, how are we ever going to do that with a kid in tow? It just mm -hmm. seemed like it was out of reach, even though even if we were thinking about, hey, this is a framework that allows us to kind of like make a volume one and a volume two and just kind of see the project keep going. But it just seems like the process was now out of reach for us for us to have that type of travel and to be able to do that same type of, um, you know, sitting down and talking to interviewing people like this for an hour at a time. Imagine right. doing it with a, a, a cranky toddler behind us. I have so, a, I have a puppy in here who's you know <laughs> <laughs> and that's already tough. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, I mean we you know once um the pandemic happened and you know we have a, a line in the book that's like our our lives turned into one big Zoom meeting. Um really the opportunities kind of just like flooded our way in terms of just access to people. Um suddenly we could access reach people um, people had just like more time to answer emails, to be, you know, looking around, finding out about projects like this. We realized, Hey, we actually could do a volume two without the travel part, even though that is so important, um, mm -hmm. to us and is exciting to us. Um, but I'll, I'll jump back to why I was thinking about it in volume one is that from the get go of this project. Capturing diverse perspectives, experiences, voices has always from day one been important to this project. And um, even with that, that goal, that value for volume one, we were really leaning on existing text in libraries and archives. Um, we went to even like university libraries and listened to recordings. Mm. Um, but that... Um, you know, in some cases was just hard to find those diverse experiences and voices because at some point in time, someone deemed something important or not to save. And um, while I think in, we we did the best we could with existing texts, it was always in my mind, if we did this project again, like I want to commission writers uh, to write pieces so that we can have more diversity reflected in these stories in this book. Um, so I was thinking of volume two, two in that way and in doing it differently. And then, you know, the pandemic hit and it forced us to do the book entirely differently and was actually a really cool opportunity to um, commission works um, from writers that we found interesting or who applied um, to, to be a part of the collection. Give me a walkthrough of, of that process of applying and commissioning them. How did you... How did you go about advertising, if you will, for contributions, contributors? And then how did you go about selecting what ultimately became volume two? We put out a call for submissions and um, you could apply in one of three categories. Um, if you had, you know, we have six parks that are featured. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you had a text that was related to either um, the Everglades, Glacier, Grand Canyon, Joshua Tree, Olympic, or the Appalachian or Pacific Crest Trails. If you had an existing story, we wanted to read it. Send it to us. We will <laughs> consider it for the collection. Um, the, se the second kind of uh, route was like, hey, you don't have a story about these specific places, but you know, you have knowledge. You have some kind of firsthand knowledge. 
Um, and you, you know, you as a writer would send a couple writing samples. It's like, this is the general style. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we would commission something, a, a new piece in the style about these specific places. Um, the third track that you could apply with was addressing this idea that like, you know, national parks are, are, are great, but they're a little hard to get to. There's an accessibility gap. Um, so we wanted to, part of the fundraising we did for this round was to uh, create a, a stipend, a grant um, that would allow people to travel um, and experience the place. So it was less about like you have firsthand experience, but it's like you have interest and you have the time to carve out in your schedule and, you know, the barrier is a little bit of money. So we, we there were six writers. Yeah, we had six places we were um, uh, focusing on in this book. So we had six grants that, uh, that if we liked um, those, your, your writing samples that we would pay you to go to these places, have an experience, and then write a new story for the book. Um, and that, yeah. you know, that didn't uh, absolve us from doing a lot of our own research, mm -hmm. just going, going out and, and trying to read as much as we can about these places and, and trying to figure it out. Um, but it allowed us to kind of fill in this picture. We're looking for, you know, six stories that, um, uh, usually the first story in each of these sections is going to kind of kind of give you a, a lay of the land, a little more historical background, or just like, you know, explain the flora and the fauna, uh, kind of ground you in the place. But, you know, these six stories kind of work together um, to, to uh, either in style, either in length, um, but and tell you different, you know, Olympic is a place where there are so many different ecosystems that like, right. if we already had two rainforest stories, we weren't going to pick a third and a fourth. Okay. Um, we, we kind of need to bounce around. So I think that we, we want them to be entertaining. We want them to be informative, informative, and we want them together to tell you the story of a place. Yeah. I think the, the way that we came up with the themes, uh, was, was different between the two volumes. Um, so the, in the, first volume, we were interviewing a lot of people and extracting sort of our takeaways, our themes from that. And um, we wrote a lot of blog posts about what we were hearing and learning as we went through the process. Um, and then we would kind of like scramble in the last few days or a week of being in a place to try to find stories that captured all of those, or at least most of those to have the most coverage and, you know, full picture of what a place is, mm -hmm. um, this time around, because we were sort of like story first, we were experiencing place through other people's experiences and stories. Um, those themes kind of, you know, just came to us through story, which was kind of lucky. It kind of took out one step of the process. Um, but it really just allowed us to work with each writer that we wanted to include on like what they could capture, where we felt like we had some gaps in sort of talking about a place. Um, so it was really like a nice way to get to know a place through story. Okay. So you said you put out a call. Where did you put the call out? Um, so one of the priorities of the coffer submissions was to like specifically invite um, people in the BIPOC or LGBTQ plus communities. Um, so we started with a lot of those communities, different like Slack groups, Facebook groups, encouraging writers that, that we know to share within like their networks. Um, and the process was really, it was open to everybody and the stories were evaluated, um, for all different groups, but we prioritized those groups as they're often like marginalized, um, in the, the outdoor industry and space. Um, and then I think it just kind of 
spread from there. Our um, publisher helped promote it. Um, am I missing any other? We, I mean, we did another Kickstarter uh, as well for the second book to help fund those travel stipends. So that was a huge help in just getting people who were like personally invested and connected. Um, we had writers that we had already had as like kind of like anchor writers. Um, we, you know, shared it with those networks to share with their writing communities. Okay. Um, we also took a look a lot at the artists in residency programs uh, in the national parks and um, found writers through there, um, but also emailed, you know, some of the people that ran those programs to perhaps share that call for submissions there as well. Approximately how many people submitted pitches? I think uh, a little over 300. Oh, okay. So you had a good reception. There was a lot of reception for this. That's awesome. Yeah, there were a lot of long nights where we were, you know, and we, we also um, were artists as well. So we know what it's like to put your work out there. So mm -hmm. we, we want to honor that energy. And we spent a lot of time really reading everything, considering everything. Um, yeah, and I'll say the most we got out of the call for submissions were our <clears throat> travel grant recipients. So six folks from that. Um, I don't really think that we selected many, if any, existing stories. They didn't quite fit within like what our collection is about, like in length and kind of style. But we did find some people whose writing we enjoyed and commissioned them to write mm -hmm. the story. Okay. Um, but I, I think it was like, it was not what made up the entire book. Um, a lot of it was outreach to um, writers or, or people we were aware of and asking them to um, contribute. So from start to publication, how long did this process take? I would say about a year. Mm -hmm. um, we we had to take a hiatus um, at one point. My, my, my dad had passed away while we were um, kind of just getting into the groove of taking the call for submissions, writers commissioning stories. They were, I think around that time, they were actually in the parks traveling um, and, and writing the stories. It was kind of that <clears throat> moment where we were kind of pulling those themes out, trying to understand place through the, the stories we were collecting, kind of that heavy editing, um, but we were, really um kind of in a moment of grieving um and my my aunt had passed away um not even a, a month later um from um the same disease Lewy body dementia um which was all kind of shocking and and uh terrible so we took a break um for a while uh from the the process that was a tough thing to to go through while uh working on on something on top of being parents and working full-time jobs so it, I think mm. it took longer than, um, you know, it could mm -hmm. have. And then from finishing the, the manuscript to publication, it's typically about a year. Exactly. All right. So, um, I'm kind of at a loss here. First off condolences. Um, so the book has been published. Your work is not done. Now you have to go out and do book tour. And I'm on, I'm on, I'm on your website right now. 
and this is really kind of, to me, kind of funny because this ties it all into Washington State. But at the time of recording, this is middle of July, and it looks like you guys are going to be in Jenkinstown, Pennsylvania. Where on earth is Jenkinstown, Pennsylvania? <laughs> I mean, so it might be a might be a big community. I have no idea. I've never heard of it. So where is our, Jenkinstown? Our, no, Jenkinstown is the proud hometown of uh, one Bradley Cooper. Uh, oh. It is ju- just outside of Philadelphia. Okay. And, you know, uh, what we understand, what we're excited to join is a cool little downtown stroll. <laughs> it's cool. a, isn't it a night market? A night market. Yeah. Oh, yeah. even better. So yeah. it's it's a, a neighboring uh, town to where we are now okay. um, that we, it's a brand new bookstore that we stumbled into one day and got to know the owner and um, decided it'd be fun to uh, do an event. She was happy to um, carry our book, and okay. we're sneaking in some local stuff before we head out for our big so, West Coast tour. So, so then the question is: Have you done any other uh, before recording this episode with me? What other have you been out on tour promoting the book anywhere else yet? Yes. So okay. in the um, for volume one, we went on a couple different book tours. Um, we did events in the Yosemite area. Um, over a month, we were there um, for a different project I was working on. And then we did some New England events as well as Acadia National Park um, is in that volume. For volume two, um, we in the spring were just in Grand Canyon, Joshua Tree, and mm-hmm. we did some events in and around the the parks there. Um, and we've been doing a couple local events. We did an event at REI in Pennsylvania and um, Barnes & Noble. There's a new uh, Philadelphia Barnes & Noble, new concept Barnes & Noble. That's um, pretty neat. Okay. So we're going to put links to this in our show notes, but you're going to go to, have you ever been to Olympia, Washington? We have, we've been, okay. um, I mean, not in Olympia, the town, but we've been in the Olympic, uh, region before okay. for travel. Yeah. All right. So you're going to, you're going to be doing, uh, you're going to be in Olympia. You got one at the REI flagship store. That's kind of cool. Have you ever been yeah. to that store before? I don't think we no. have actually, yeah. when we it's were a- in Seattle, we, we flew in, we looked around for like a, a day, but we mostly went out to Mount hood and, uh, the coast and traveled Seattle went to Oregon. I mean, really you're killing me. <laughs> Come on, yeah, I'm just kidding. So you're gonna you got the the Rainier Club in Seattle. You're in King's Books in Tacoma, which is my old stomping ground. Cool. Uh, King's is a an, an interesting bookstore. It's it's cool. it's cool. It's it's eclectic. Mm-hmm. Um, now the one we talked about before we hit record, which is in my neighborhood, and I don't know where it's at, <laughs> which is the uh, Wenatchee River Institute in Leavenworth. Who did did Mountaineers Press help you? book these or are yeah. you booking these no our uh our publisher Publis- takes okay. care of that shout out to marissa who okay. is organizing all of these events we used to have to uh organize our own events but for this we have help which has been tremendously helpful and then you're bouncing up to bellingham and there's one here that i i'm gonna have to look at the map because i don't know where harbor books is oh oh hoquim okay so you're heading now. You're getting closer to the the, the national park, and then you're Lake Quinault Lodge, mm-hmm. and Lake Crescent Lodge, and you're going to Port Angeles, 
and then you're in the glacier park and then you're going to Missoula. I mean, it's almost like, you know, do you get a, like a green room, like a, a musician? Do you get to tell me only want like red M&Ms in the, in the back, in the green room while you're prepping? I mean, what do you hope? Walk me through what would be successful for you if you, and I'm going to randomly scroll my screen and stop on village books in Bellingham, you know, nothing about that place. I'm going to guess to you, what would be a successful book event at a bookstore in Bellingham, Washington? And they have a, Puzzled look on their face, folks. I'm, oh, no, I'm, I'm happy to answer. I'm just nudging Dave to take this one so he can talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to answer, but yeah. you want to? Uh, sure. Let's see. A six, we, we, we stroll in and uh, the red carpet's out for us. We get to go right back to the green room. It's fully stocked. No, uh, no I think um, <laughs> this is an opportunity for us to, uh, I get, uh, to, to hone how we talk about the book. Um, mm -hmm. We'd love for... Um, people in that area uh, to come out and, and just be able to meet us. We'd love to talk about, um, uh, I, I guess we'd love to, again, we're not, we're, we're not Washington natives here. We're not right. coming in with, we're not local authors in, the, in this sense. Right. Um, there are certainly a couple of events where some of the writers, some of the contributors to the book are able to join us. I feel like those are our most successful events where we so can. In Washington, let me interrupt you. I'm going to just yep, not, not let me, I'm just going to interrupt you. <laughs> Boom. In, the, in, in your Washington tour, do you know if some of the contributors are going to be with you? We do. I have okay. yet to update our, our website with okay. this. Um, and we're in the midst of confirming um, for the flyers that we are creating, but um, we have uh, Harvest Moon, um coming out to i think she emailed us last night and there were like five events she's coming out wow, to. Wow. it was she said she flipped a coin between uh, a, a paddle um or coming to events and coming to our events one so Good. she's joining us for i think all of the ones in and near the park okay um like the different lodges um we have rosette royale who's joining us for the Seattle REI flagship location. Um, who else? We definitely have, I think Ali uh, Donaldson, AKA Tagoy. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm -hmm. We'll be in Leavenworth with us. I Levin, think. Leavenworth. Leavenworth. Oh you. gosh. See, gonna... I thought I got it right this no, time. Cause I, I was already I'm totally giving you a hard time. So do not. <laughs> Leavenworth. What's Joining really fun. What's really fun here. I think I might've told you this when we talked on the phone is when we get a new newscast on TV, you know, new anchor person or new weather person, and they have to print. And I, I I'm firmly believe that all the TV stations do this on person per, purpose is they just let the person go up there and stumble and mm -hmm. like, and then they laugh at them. There are so many words in Washington state that are of Indian background, tribal background and all that, that they're, next to impossible to pronounce even if you know and you've lived here your entire life but it's it's leavenworth mm -hmm. That's thank you I'm, for correcting I, me i know i am publicly too <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah we have um in glacier uh we have some folks joining us there as awesome. well Okay. Oh, and then uh, Rena Priest, the former Washington oh, yeah. uh, State Poet Laureate, will be joining us. So I feel like those are the events I'm most excited for. Like we're yeah. we're we're happy to like talk about the book, but we're also here to learn. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd love to uh, uh, listen to the contributors, share their, read their stories aloud for the oh. first, I guess for the first time, we'll be hearing it. Oh, that's we'd cool. To, so you can, the contributors can be able to read their pieces. It, it, oh, that's awesome. Okay. That's yeah. really cool. We'd love to get, inf- you know, we'd love people coming out and just teaching us a little bit about Olympic. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we are happy to share from our perspective, understanding kind of like parks on a national scale and right. what we're seeing, what we're experiencing. Um yeah. yeah, we had the, I think that, I mean, that's what I'm most looking forward to is, are the events where we have our special guests, our writers mm-hmm. coming out. Um, we did an event in Flagstaff, Arizona um, as our Grand Canyon event. And mm-hmm. we had um, a writer, Melissa Bowman, come out and um, read her piece. And it was, it was like, for the first time, it just occurred to me, like, hearing it from the writer being just like this whole other experience we had read her piece so many times through the like selection and editing process mm-hmm. but it just hit in a whole different way hearing it come out of of her mouth and how it was intended to be shared orally so i just love that and i'm i'm really looking forward to it okay. um I think the <laughs> to your your note about like the green room and Dave's the red carpet. I feel like that is like the perception of what a book tour looks like. <laughs> but please keep in mind, like we're traveling with a three year old and a six year old, and we are a hundred percent reliant on like iPads, and then our six year old pretending to babysit our three year old during an event, but then she'll like completely abandon her as soon as someone's like clapping for us or introducing us she just makes a beeline towards us and wants to stand in front of a crowd and like take all the applause and attention and then it's like where's where's isla like where's the child so it's um certainly not not as glamorous as it sounds but um nonetheless very exciting i guess add to the list of successful no injuries injuries Uh, all all of us that come into the event uh, leave the event you know right right I've, I've talked to a lot of musicians and, uh, you know, the whole glamor of the road means, you know, yeah, there's five of us in a van with our gear sleeping, sitting up, uh, you know, willing to kill somebody to get a shower, you know, uh, <laughs> I, don't I don't know think, if we'll be quite, yeah, quite think, there, but, uh, there's no one to make you feel like more kind of like ashamed than a six-year-old like why is nobody at your event why is nobody coming <laughs> oh the, the complete lack of filter is just yes lovely yeah she i think in her mind she has like the movie star view of like having a concert or whatever right, right. um and she like on paper thinks we're like a celebrity but in reality she's a bit disappointed with the turnout to book events but as we um, have learned and have been told that it's really like a big part of it is less so the amount of like people that come, but more the relationships that you're making with the bookstores that are yeah. carrying the book and the connections that you make. And like, even when the turnout is small, you know, the people that are coming are like really, really invested and really interested um, in the book. Uh, so that's always exciting to get to know people and get to talk about that. Right, because they can be your biggest advocate at yeah. the local level saying, uh, you know, I, you know, you, we've all been met by people. Have you seen this book? You've got to read this book, this, and you know, they're like, you know, and as an author, you're hoping that they're handing copies of your book to people, but you know, they're, they're telling everybody, you know, you got to listen to this. You got to read this. You got to go watch that. You know, those people that are so vitally important to 
the boots on the ground, the grassroots level of promotion, you can't be everywhere. You can't right. do everything. Um, and so, a big part is like getting the word out too. So, um, mm -hmm. we, you know, often find that we have more people turn up when, when someone has, uh, you know, shared something about it. So we right. definitely have a lot of interviews like this and, and others on TV and newspaper, all that, that are helping us to promote these events. So hopefully some of you will hear about those, uh, elsewhere as well and yeah. come out to an event. Okay. So this is the part of the, the show that we're, this is going to be interesting because I ask questions about where my guests live and my guests almost always live in Washington state or, or from Washington state. And so I can ask them to go back and, you know, to their past when they live there, but you guys are going to, we're going to have to break the rules here. So, and here, and here's the fun part. You can make up stuff and I won't be able to fact check you. So it's, it's <laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. So one of the questions I always ask my guests is where's a great place to grab lunch around you? So if I came, so do you live in, I would, if I were to come out to see you, I would fly into Philadelphia. Would that be correct? Yes. Okay. So let's just use Philadelphia as your home, the base of operations, even if it's, you know, somewhere else. Where's a great place in Philadelphia for me to get lunch? I just got off a cross-country flight. I'm hungry. It's lunchtime. I'm in Philadelphia. I'll, I, I bet. Oh, oh, I bet. Well, I'll give the tourist answer. I bet yeah. you're going to want a cheesesteak right away. And we're well, that's gonna, like saying I'm coming to Seattle when I want coffee, which is true. But um, yeah, that's that. You're right. You, that's you gotta try. You can't yeah. leave without it. Right. And exactly. We're going, to, we're going to steer you to Cosme's Deli. You know, don't don't jump in line at Pat's and Pat's and Gino's. Right. Right. Oh. The, the epicenter. Right. Go to Cosme's uh, a Deli around the corner, and they have the best cheesesteaks. Okay. So that's one option, but Alyssa has a second option. I would send you to the Dutch in South Philly, in Passyunk Square. Mm -hmm. It is a tiny little, um, well, I was going to say a brunchette, but in the past year, they offer dinner service now, okay. um, which is also very good. Um, but they have like the best breakfast, lunch, food. I'm assuming it is like Dutch inspired, okay. uh, Pennsylvania Dutch. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just really solid food with like great atmosphere and just really okay great experience. Now, okay, as usual, I'm going to tell you to listen to Alyssa. Yes. That was the better answer. Okay. Now I'm kidding, but you know, Philadelphia is known for its coffee culture. I don't know. I know nothing about Philadelphia. Is, if Phil, is Philadelphia a coffee town? There are a lot of coffee shops, coffee snobs. I don't know that it is quite as much as it is in Seattle, though. Well, I don't yeah, know. But Seattle's kind of the the epicenter of the. We're whole... like a. I would say we're like a foodie mecca right okay. now. There are a lot of like really amazing, like James Beard Award winning chefs right now. Okay. In Philly. But I want coffee. Yeah. Where would you tell me to go for coffee? And I like just so you know, I'm just kind of like I'm simple. I like black coffee. I'm not a, I don't need all the, the, the fancy foo-foo stuff. I, I like just good coffee. I would send you to La Cologne, which maybe you're familiar with because I think huh. they have more of like a, a geographic spread than, um, they once had, but it is just really good. We might be more 
basic coffee drinkers also. Um, cause there's way more hip coffee shops around Philly now. And yet I still prefer La Colombe. It's, um, I'm thinking specifically of the Fishtown La Colombe. That's probably like, I think it is their literal HQ. They have some offices in the upstairs. Okay. Um, but it's just like really wonderful ambiance. The coffee itself is like rich and dark. Um, I do add half and half in sugar to my coffee. I know. Um, but it is just really, really good coffee. I don't like this new, like hip bean variety or roasting technique. That's like, it tastes like, um, people put like Jolly Ranchers in it. It's got this like sour berry flavor. You're laughing, (laughs) but it's like, that's what it tastes like Mm -hmm. to me. And I don't like it. And that's a lot of the really hip coffee shops in Philly have that type of coffee. And I've got to figure out a way to ask, like, is your coffee this version of coffee? If so, no thanks. Um, but yeah, the Lachlum and Fishtown is really great. I, I I remember like when every coffee shop in the city like offered Wi-Fi so that people would come like work and spend money there. They like refused. And I always just saw it as like this gesture to like, no, like don't work. Just like sit, have a conversation, enjoy your coffee, have a nice time. And I've always appreciated that. So, so you and I could be coffee friends because that was maybe the best description I've ever heard of what is probably, you know, the third wave of coffee is kind of what it is. And it's the, it's the, um, yeah, they, yeah, I'm not a fan. And so that was awesome. Jolly Rancher. That was, oh, I'm going to reuse that one. I, I, that was okay. So. I found good coffee, not, not the whiny stuff. Great. And we've got lunch covered. Awesome. All right. So one last specific question bouncing back to the book or the brand, if you will, do you have anything on the horizon that you're willing to disclose? Uh, And I'm, I'm nudging you towards, is there going to be a volume three or do you will be a new deck of cards or what do you think might be coming next? If anything, I think that volume three is definitely on the table. We don't have anything official. We've not written anything to our publisher about so it. You're not but... burned out. In other words, if oh, you, no way. you're willing, you're, you're like, you're willing to entertain the idea of, of a continuation. Okay. Yeah. And I think that we've learned some things doing the book two entirely different ways. And mm-hmm. I think the the next version will be all the more better for, you know, create creating almost like a blended approach, like a hybrid approach to what we did. Um, okay. cause I think both experiences really offered something unique and special. Um, and I think we're kind of refining our process, iterating our process as we go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the collection is really like intended to continue to grow at one point, we're probably going to run out of like, the big name iconic parks. Uh, so it'll be interesting to, to figure out, you know, what happens with maybe volume four, if we got that far. Um, I would offer you that. I think many of the parks could use, you could go and do more stories that some of the, some of the parks are deep enough, if you will, that there's more, absolutely more stories that in more voices that could be heard. Yeah. And we've, we've started to kind of explore, um, even back before volume two, we explored different approaches like on 
specific themes like water, for instance, parks okay. where that that's like a really important um, and it, it didn't quite um, work out that we took that approach, but I think we could get creative in that way as well. Um, we're also like in initial conversations, um, planning conversations about a children's book um, that we hope to work with Melissa McFeeders on as well to continue um, her amazing illustration and design work. Um, okay. So that's that one is again kind of like more of like a side project of of mine um, within the Campfire Stories. Okay, brand. that's awesome. All right. My last, well, I have two questions for you. Last one though. Well, second last. What didn't I ask you that I should have? What didn't we touch on that we, we should have touched on? Mm. All I can think of is us asking you for Seattle recommendations <laughs> or Washington recommendations. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get right we'll back that to offline. that. Offline. Okay. Well, we'll, well, we'll, no, we'll, I'll even answer them online, um, but we'll get back. So I, but I can't wait any longer for this last question. This requires individual answers. There is no escaping this question. So you each have your own opinion. All right. Very important question. Cake or pie and why? Dave, you go first. <laughs> Cake or pie and why? Um, I can I, jump in while he's thinking. Well, I, I have an answer. You know, I acknowledge, while I acknowledge and recognize the pie division, that you can have sweet and savory. You know, there's more variety in the uh, type of pie that you make. I am a, I'm a fan of dessert. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my parents always told me that uh, uh, mosquitoes are attracted to me because I eat so many sweets and I have sweet blood. And okay. that's why I get bit so much. But so, I, you know, even though pie is probably a deeper... Uh, a deeper and more diverse body of of food. I am I'm, I'm I'm always going to go for the cake, especially if it's a cheesecake. Any okay. variety of cheesecake, I am going to jump into. So if I had to push you, you could only have one type of cheesecake. What would it be? Oh, um, I think just a classic New York cheesecake with a strawberry on top. Okay. Solid, super yeah. solid. Or the one I, I had not, a, not the mystery strawberry gel on top. Oh, definitely the mystery strawberry gel. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you been to like New York or like a like a no. Northeast diner where they have you know it's plain just a, cheesecake with strawberry on top? There's usually like a strawberry like goo yes. on top. Yes, yes. Right, goo, right goo. So Very okay, important. all right, okay, that okay. How about you, Melissa? Um, I am a hundred percent on team cake. I, I, I cannot stand uh cooked fruit. It is too sweet. Okay. Um, so I feel like most pies, unless it's like a chocolate peanut butter pie, then I'm going full swing to the pie team. Okay. Um, but cake tends to be a little bit more savory, a little less sticky sweet. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I would go with cake. Okay. All right. Now to answer your questions, uh, for coffee. I'm just going to answer coffee questions. Uh, when you're in Seattle and you're going to be at the REI flagship, it's worth, in my opinion, I can't believe I'm saying this publicly, but I'm going to, <laughs> because you're touristy, it, you should experience the Starbucks roastery. It is the, imagine if Walt Disney and I can insert name of casino owner got together and created a coffee place. 
because it is, it is over the top. It is like Vegas meets Disneyland, but for coffee. Um, it is not a cheap experience. Yeah. You, that you will feel your wallet being literally pulled out of your pocket as you walk through the doors. I paid, I think $15 for a coffee there. Um, wow. No, no, but it was the best. I go so far as to say it certainly was the best coffee I've ever had in my life. And it may be the best thing I've ever tried in my life. It was iced coffee and it was whiskey aged Guatemalan coffee that was served iced with, it was, it was, it was magnificent. It was, it was absolutely magnificent. Starbucks roastery. You should experience that just, like you should go to Disneyland, right? I, you know, you should go to Vegas and walk through a casino. Even if you're not a gambler, go, you know. We it's, did it's, do that. On right. Our, they're our like amazing, right? And at the trip. same time, they're awful. Uh, that's the same thing that the Starbucks roastery is, only it's all about coffee. You, yeah. Okay. In Bellingham, I, of course, you don't like whiny coffee. Like, are you saying like whiny, like a bottle of wine like, or like, like whiny? The berry like flavors. It's, it's, it's whiny. Like it's, it's, they're lighter roasts. They're trying to bring out all the. The sour berry. Yeah. Vibe. And whiny. A lot of African coffees have a whiny blueberry fruity uh, palette to them. And that's not my thing. Um but there's a place in Bellingham that's one of the best coffee shops in the world and it's named Camber. Um, I've been there once. That's enough for me. Um, it was a neat experience. And my favorite coffee shop in Bellingham closed, so I can't recommend that. But I've heard, um, I want to say The Woods is one that I haven't tried that. But there's one in Bellingham, and I, I've not been to this one, and it is called um, Narrative Coffee. And narrative brings in coffees from other roasters. They kind of rotate them through like your local tavern has rotating taps. These guys have rotating coffee roasters come through. They do a great job with coffee. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great, great thing. In Tacoma, you can go anywhere. You you can't go wrong for coffee in Tacoma. In Olympia, try Olympia Coffee. Um, You might like their big truck coffee. That's their darker roast that's good. And in Hoquiam, there's, oh, I can't think of the name of it. There's one, it, Hoquiam is right across the river from another town called Aberdeen. It's literally like across the street, you know, one side of the street, you're in Hoquiam, one side of the street, you're in Aberdeen. So it's the same town. And for the life of me, I'm drawing a complete blank as to what that place is called, but there's a really nice little coffee shop in Aberdeen. I will send that to you off, offline. Mm-hmm. And the Olympic f- Park, not a lot of great options there for you. Um, in Leavenworth, J five or yeah, J is it J five or J nine? I always forget. I'm almost positive it's J five. I'm doing this on, on live air. Perfect. Um, I am a fan of J five and that's probably going to be fairly close to where you are, uh, in town. So there's some coffee shops for you. We will certainly need it. We'll be on the road for about a month with two, well, coming up here to Washington, you <laughs> will find an abundance of, of really good coffee. You'll find an abundance of good food, too, um, depending on what. Bellingham's a great town. 
Um, if you get any, if you have any a day off to spend in Bellingham, I recommend you enjoy Bellingham. I think we did. We did protect yeah. some time. I think we pushed an it's, event it's, back a bit so we could explore. It's beautiful it. up there. Yeah, take a look at it. Leavenworth is great too. You'll you'll enjoy that. I, you don't look like you have a lot of free time there. It looks like you're going over the mountain and coming back. Um, but you will you will find. And Leavenworth is a, a Bavarian themed town, um, so it's very touristy. Very, very touristy. Um, but J5 Coffee is super solid. So, Well, thank you. Thank you both for doing this. I wish you continued success with this. I think it's a really cool concept and, and really cool. The book, I only have volume two. Um, uh, your, your publicist sent it to me. It's it's a beautiful book. I should first off, people, this is a thank beautiful you. book. You guys, the layout of it's great. The art is wonderful. It's very cohesive throughout. I really... I really can't recommend it enough. And I think what you're doing it, to help give a voice to other, other authors and, and curating this um, is very cool. And so kudos to you for, you know, taking a leap. Thank you. So anyway, uh, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this or give you the last word. Where can people find you online? So our website is campfirestoriesbook.com. Mm -hmm. um, you can purchase our books and card decks there or uh, from Mountaineers Books directly. Yeah. We're also available on, you know, Amazon and some of the big Barnes and Noble giants, but always support your you local bookstores and independent stores. Definitely check out Seattle's own Mountaineers Books for yeah. uh, <laughs> if, you're, yeah. if you're looking to acquire the book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so are you on social? Do you do much in the social channels? You know, when we, when we find the time, I, I do do some Instagramming. I'm going to have to figure out this new, uh, new threads. threads. Oh, that's right. Um, I'm sure that we will be, uh, on social, especially during our book tour, sharing some, uh, you know, views and event updates on the road oh yeah we got a little we got a little support from hip camp and we're gonna get to stay in some cool places throughout washington oh, cool. through hip camp so we'll be posting about i think we get to stay on a bus a schoolie <laughs> a, a school yeah oh, really? schoolie. Where, where, where are you doing that at i think that, that one's in olympia, olympia. Mm -hmm. okay that makes sense um okay yeah so some unique stays along the way that's very cool so you're going to kind of document those a little bit uh, and share yeah. this. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you both for taking the time this morning to uh, sit down with me. And um, I, I hope, I hope, well, don't take this the wrong way. I hope I can't come to the Leavenworth thing because that means the Apple Sox are in, in the playoffs. And we have a game. So that would be, that would be awesome. But if that's not the case or the game's an away game and I can be there, I'm, I'll meet you and I'll come up and say hello in Leavenworth. That would be lovely. Well, we'd love to yeah, see you. Yeah, but we'd love to see you, but I also hope that we don't see you because, you know, for the same reason. Sports. <laughs> Go team. Go team. Go sports ball. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore Law State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. I'm glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.